Have you ever wondered what it's like to perform an autopsy? Ever wanted to know how accurate your favorite crime drama is? If you're brave enough, join, join us inside, inside the, the morgue. morgue. Welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your host and autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. Today, we have a fun mini-sode and we're going to dissect Scrubs Season 4, Episode 9, titled My Malpractical Decision. This might be the only Scrubs episode that is specifically about morgue work and pathologists, so we wanted to watch it and break down the facts about what they discuss and kind of talk about the differences between a clinical autopsy and a forensic autopsy. So let's get into it. We open with Doug prepping a patient for supposed brain surgery by shaving his head when JD walks over and tells Doug that this patient is actually getting rotator cuff surgery. So Doug runs away before the patient wakes up. <laughs> I I love it. <laughs> there's also starting off hilarious. It's also a bit because his rotator cuff is broken and he only shaved half of his head, like his left arm, he can't move, so he still feels his hair on his his right side and he thinks he's fine, but he can't reach his arm up to feel the left side because it's broken. <laughs> I love the little bits that they have in this show. I've never really like watched Scrubs. This is I think the first episode that I've sat down and watched all the way through and it's hilarious. There is some good stuff in there. I used to be very into Scrubs in college, which is longer ago than I'd like to admit, but a very funny show. So we cut to a malpractice attorney walking into the ICU, and this attorney seems to create problems when there really are none. So Dr. Kelso, the chief of medicine, says that they need to shape this place up and get Doug Murphy out of here before the attorney comes around. Doug is the type of doctor that can't seem to get things right. He was just shaving a guy's head for brain surgery, and he wasn't even getting it, and then he charged Carla, a nurse, accidentally with lap pads. I will say, I mean, I never, I don't think I did anything this bad, but, like, I get being so nervous that you just keep messing things up. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah. When I first started. And then it's like, you only mess up when the people are watching yeah, you. Yeah, and you do, you're doing all right when no one's watching you, and then someone's like, hey, how's it going over here? And then you jump and you mess up everything because you're under pressure. <laughs> I relate. I relate to Doug. All the time. Like, when the interns are watching us do our eviscerations, I'm like, okay, don't mess up, don't mess up. Or whenever they <laughs> even ask me a basic question, whenever anybody asks me I, a like, basic question. I, like, stumble over my words. Is this the right or the left lung? And I'm like... <gasps> I don't know. And then I'm like, Alice, you know this. The right lung has three lobes. The left lung has two. You got it. So JD and his mentor, Dr. Cox, are treating a patient who has an arrhythmia, and this patient just so happens to be the malpractice attorney's father. As JD is trying to explain her father's conditions in layman's terms, so in the forensic and medical world, we use the term layman, and this just means like a normal person, not in this the specific field. So when you're describing like a complex or a technical statement to someone who might not understand it and you want them to understand it, you describe it in like yeah. a dumbed down way. An easier to understand way. Yeah. Like you're not using like the big words that only other medical people would understand. Right. And it's important for especially forensic pathologists to be able to explain things in like more simple terms, especially if they're trying to appeal to a jury mm -hmm. who might not have a background in medical terminology. So yeah, it is a big it's a big deal in the forensics world. Alice and I like don't directly talk to families to give them any news about case updates. That's more for like the investigators to do. And I know that they have to then talk in layman's terms to the families for the families to then understand like what cause of death is and like what mm -hmm. was found mm -hmm. at autopsy. 
So she goes off by saying that syncope in the setting of a severe LV systolic dysfunction indicated a high risk of arrhythmia, so the best course of action would be an implantable defibrillator. So if the slightest thing goes wrong with her father, she will sue the pants off the hospital. But putting a defibrillator in a patient is an elective surgery, and JD and Dr. Cox elect not to do it. Hospitals can refuse treatment on non-emergency patients. Carla and Dr. Elliot Reed, who is the chief resident at the hospital, are also hiding Doug from this attorney until she leaves so he can't mess anything else up. Carla suggests that Doug is taken down to the morgue, so he can't do much wrong there besides bring somebody back to life. Classic morgue humor. When they get down there, we see a body on the autopsy table, and the pathologist is putting a second body back in the classic pull-out wall cooler. And Alice and I talked about this this morning, and like even before we started recording, and we asked one of our students who rotate through our site for school if she's ever seen, like, a practical wall cooler in use. So yes, these are in hospitals, but I don't think that they are used in the traditional sense that all of these shows use them. And I think that they are so inefficient and a waste of space almost, because what if you run out of room in the wall cooler and you have more bodies? Where are you putting those bodies? That's my thing is you're limited to the number of drawers that you have in there. Like our our cooler is just a room. It's a giant walk-in cooler. Yeah. So we can fit like tables and tables and tables in there. But if you only have like... 10 drawers you only have room for 10 bodies i think it was in it was in the autopsy of jane doe i think when and granted they were a much smaller office working in a very small town but like they only had we only saw three drawers and i was like what happens if more than three people are dead at the same time in your town (laughs) what do you do with them you just keep them out in the in the street you do (laughs) we sometimes have more bodies than what our cooler can really hold so we'll sometimes and i know people probably don't want to like think about this but we'll have to like double up or even triple up bodies on a single table just to make room to have everybody in the cooler yeah but yeah we are getting a bigger cooler though and i'm very excited about it but these classic pull out wall coolers are impractical in our yeah in my opinion at least i don't know hey if anybody listening works in a hospital or works in a morgue where they have these pull out coolers and they have rave reviews about them please let us know i also do they stop at a certain height because like do they go really high up you have to get a lift yeah we do have a lift because we do have bodies on racks in our cooler in the back of the rack and we do have the lift to get on the top rack we have, yeah we have a rack system right that we can only hold eight bodies on but that's in addition to having a walk-in cooler i just want to know the logistics and you know actually okay i hope i'm not making this up so Back when I was like in my scrub binging days, I think they used an actual hospital to film. So if this is an actual hospital, that's an actual morgue cooler. Also, we talked about this too. None of these bodies are ever in body bags. They're just on the table. Yeah, in the movies, they just pull the body out and it's just like there's a little cloth over them, but then there's just a there's just a dead person right there. There should be a body bag. I know hospitals have body bags, and they have crappy <laughs> hospital bags. They, rip. they are the worst. The quality of them is so poor, the and they rip gotten. so easily. I know you have them. Why don't you use them? Not in the not in Hollywood. You just pull out a cooler. Hollywood, they don't exist. Hollywood, <laughs> they do not have body bags, apparently. Anyway, back to the show. Elliot makes a joke about the toe tag like it's a little present. This would be the worst present to give someone. Wait, this also made me think of Bob's Burgers, which I know you love. <laughs> but in the very first episode of Bob's Burgers, Bob forget his and Linda's anniversary, even though it's 9-3 and 9 is divisible by 3. But she thinks he's planning a surprise 
and they had just been accused of putting human flesh in their burgers yes. and they're next to the if anybody's never watched bob's burgers please go watch it it's hilarious they live next to a, funeral, next home, to a funeral home a crematorium called it's your funeral which is amazing but a casket gets pushed over and i guess the they had just done a whole bit about the person who's being buried in the casket owned a candy shop his casket's really colorful and there's like a bow on it and it gets pushed into bob's burgers somehow and linda thinks it's a present for her and she's like oh a present for me and she like opens it and it's a dead guy with like candy <laughs> <laughs> And the health inspector's there, like, oh my god, they're getting dead bodies delivered in present bags. That's all that made me think of when she said, oh, it's like a little present. (laughs) A present like this would be the worst to receive. In the Bob's Burger episode, I think Linda, like, lifts up his arm to, like, look under to see if there's a present. And the dead person's arm, like, stays stuck up in the air because of rigor mortis. I love that show so much. Back to Scrubs. Doug makes his way back up to the ICU floor and tells Elliot that he knows he's a screw-up, but he's going to turn things around. But the room that he walked in was a quarantined area. They're all in, like, Tyvek hazmat suits. Full Tyvek PPE, and he apparently did not see the six signs outside of the room that say biohazard and isolation room. So JD sympathizes with the attorney and sees her for what she really is, a daughter worried about her father, and he pushes them to do the elective surgery to put in a defibrillator. But she was manipulating him, and now he questions if they should really do the procedure or not. He finally decides that they should do the surgery, and then Doug questions if he should even be a doctor, because he keeps messing up. He is down in the morgue when Elliot walks in and says that he might not be cut out to be a doctor. The pathologist is sitting next to them. I thought this was hilarious. He was also eating a lollipop. A lollipop. It's a classic move in the show, yeah. He always has a lollipop. The pathologist is sitting next to them, and he's stumped on what the cause of death is for this case that he's working on. Doug chimes in, saying that he bets that the decedent took a paracentesis needle to the aorta. Paracentesis is a procedure where a needle or a catheter is inserted into the perineal cavity, which is the area of the abdomen that contains the stomach, intestines, and liver to obtain acetic fluid for diagnostic or therapeutic procedures. Acetic fluid is fluid that builds up between the abdomen lining and the abdominal organs. We actually see ascites in cases that we get sometimes, and we use a suction hose to get all the fluid out before we continue the evisceration. This actually happened to me the other day. He probably had 5,000 cc of fluid in him, and I was just sitting there. I was standing there suctioning for like 10 minutes. I remember that. Yeah, it was a lot. It's like a yellow liquid. It is very yellow, but I immediately thought of a previous episode we did the crossing jordan episode if you want to go back and listen to that that's the angry toddler with a scalpel episode but in that episode she like stabs into the guy's stomach like an angry toddler with a scalpel and bright yellow fluid comes gushing out Mm -hmm. it's not that yellow but it is yellow it's a more diluted yellow than that so yeah we suction all that fluid out so we don't make a mess everywhere because we have to clean it up i was gonna say (laughs) because we clean up after or our interns help us too but you Especially if it's like a weekend and we're there alone. Like, it's us. We're cleaning it up at the end of the day. Doug then goes on a cause of death spree for all the other cases. One is a prescribed fentanyl overdose. There's one that is a dissected left main during carotid catheterization. And the last case, he pulls out a glove from underneath someone's pancreas. I love that reminded me of, I keep referencing our old episodes, but when we did Psych... They told the medical examiner that he had left his keys in someone's spleen. This is not like a common thing that people leave gloves and other medical things inside bodies. At least I hope it's not. God, I've never at autopsy pulled something strange out of someone like that. 
So the fentanyl overdose one caught my attention because unfortunately we do see a lot of overdose cases in our morgue. So fentanyl is synthetic opioid that is about 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. And pharmaceutical fentanyl was developed for pain management in cancer patients and was applied through a patch on the skin. However, now we see fentanyl added to drugs like heroin to increase potency, which often results in death of the person using the drug because they might not know that fentanyl is in it, so they don't know how potent the drug that they are taking is. Especially street drugs. Like, you never know what's really in a street drug. Right. So the pathologist at this hospital is amazed by Doug, and he asks if he can steal Doug from the hospital floor, and Elliot tells him to go for it. Doug then takes off his gloves, feeling victorious, and then throws them right back in the body cavity where he had just removed the gloves. So Doug gained so much confidence finding his true calling down in the morgue, which, relatable. Very relatable. (laughs) Love working in a morgue. (laughs) And also, this is just a fun little fact that I found while doing some behind-the-scenes research for Scrubs. I found out that Doug's last name is Murphy, which is believed to be a reference to Murphy's Law, which states, anything that can go wrong will go wrong which is very accurate and very funny for his character. I think it's a very clever name for him. Absolutely. So at the end of the episode and in the rest of the Scrubs series, whenever we see Doug again, it's assumed that he is a pathologist or a pathology resident at Sacred Heart Hospital. So we thought we'd chat a little bit about the differences between being a pathologist at a hospital versus being a forensic pathologist. A clinical or hospital autopsy is done when the cause of death is already known on natural deaths and can be done for a research study and is performed by a pathologist. A forensic autopsy is done in order to determine cause and manner of death and is performed by a forensic pathologist with the help of lovely autopsy technicians like ourselves. And for clinical autopsies, next of kin must give consent and can limit the extent of the examination. But for forensic autopsies, next of kin cannot limit the exam. However, we do try to take the family's wishes into account whenever we can. Clinical pathologists can also work with living patients by giving diagnoses through blood or urine or tissue or other samples. However, in the Scrubs universe, we only ever see Doug in later episodes working with the dead, although he is still referred to as a pathologist. But... Maybe the other doctors just didn't trust him around anyone alive due to his track record. I feel like a lot of people who, again, like don't work in the field of forensics think Mm -hmm. that clinical autopsies and forensic autopsies are the same, and they're very much not, as Alice has just listed. Some other things like clinical autopsies really only focus on like the internal examination Mm -hmm. rather than the external. And a lot of times the clinical autopsies are done more for research or they think it could be beneficial for research, whereas like our autopsies are really only focused on cause of death. We definitely do external examinations, and sometimes external tells us more than internal. And we do a lot of evidence collection that can be done during the external exam and internal exam, which I don't think they do for clinical exams. Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of it. And so one last thing, a pathologist in a hospital who does autopsies, they're not specifically trained in forensics where like our pathologists are trained in forensics. They've had a forensics fellowship rotation, like they're board certified. Being board certified is huge. I was just going to say board certified is a big, big thing with it. All of our pathologists that we work with are board certified. And we also look for manner of death. I think we've touched on this before, but that's another thing. I feel like a lot of people use synonymously as manner and cause of death, and they are not the same. So there's five manners of death. There's natural 
undetermined, accident, suicide, and homicide. And those are like manners of death. And cause of death is how, what caused the person to die. So like a fall down the stairs. Like what broke that went in their fall down the stairs. Yeah. yeah. And that could be the manner of death for that. That could be an accident. Yeah. Or a homicide if somebody pushed them. Or a homicide. <laughs> so yeah, just little, little things here and there, the differences that you learn about in the world of forensics. That kind of brings us to an end of this little mini shorter episode we didn't really do like red flags or green flags this was just more of an informational kind of like conversation to have about clinical versus forensic autopsies and to discuss a funny show that has forensics in it it was this is a very funny show maybe not forensics but clinical yeah not for see we just talked about it difference between forensic and clinical has pathologist has a morgue in it it, it has, has a, a morgue. morgue in it. It has a morgue in it. <laughs> this show has a morgue, so we're going to talk about it. <laughs> it had a morgue. It had a morgue cooler, which will always fascinate me. Every show has it. My goal with this podcast is to be put in contact with someone who has seen <laughs> or worked with one of those coolers and just to ask them about it. <laughs> I've never, never seen it. I just want to know. So thanks for hanging out and listening to us. If you enjoy our podcast and you want to learn more about forensics and true crime, keep on listening. We have a whole bunch of episodes out. You can find us on Instagram at Inside the Morgue Pod, so feel free to follow us and DM us with any questions. You can also email us too. That will be in our show notes. And remember, if you're going to die, do it strangely and support your local autopsy techs. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye! Bye.